If you've played SimCity, you know that if you don't have resources readily available, your only residential area is overlooking the beach, or you put your housing next to a coal refinery, the frequency with which everyone just moves out is a little too high. Or with the latter, maybe the whole place burns down. So how does city planning work? Why is it a thing? And how do the nuances of it cause sometimes more issues than they solve? Shanti's here as a representative of those of you with a naturally curious mind. And I am D.R. Cox, a scientist and researcher for the last decade in regenerative medicine, vaccines, and nanoparticles. And this is Breaking Bad Science. <laughs> so we mentioned it last week, uh, but if you listen on Spotify, Spotify has recently um, released ratings. And so if you have the time... Please rate, review. Um, they're just now setting up their rankings. And so there's a good chance for a podcast like ours to get onto the uh, the rankings um, and cause a lot or produce a lot more visibility for the podcast. So we love your guys' help with that. Um, and other than that, uh, yeah, let's talk about SimCity and uh, city developing. Did you ever play the game? Played very briefly when I was a kid, but I, I didn't get ever super like big into it. But like I know some people who were like SimCity nerds. Yeah, the uh, so um, the sort of famous quote from the game is, "Why do I always have to put my low-income housing in the worst parts of town?" <laughs> yeah, so it's really it's yeah, it's one of those things that sort of um, you know the the game. Uh, sort of pointed out what is just the natural sort of issue with this idea of city development. And when I first looked this up, honestly, city development was not really even a thing until um, like the industrial age. Uh, we we didn't really concern ourselves with it. Things just got put up wherever they were. And so older cities, you know, I'm sure have, have changed over time, but have had some some issues probably early on with the fact that their, um, uh, you know, what the, the their city design was essentially not particularly conducive to uh, the idea of, you know, how a city should work. Well, it's interesting. If you look at parts of Boston right now, a lot of Boston's not on a grid as opposed to New York, which is mm -hmm. a lot of that is because Boston's an older city. Yeah industrial yeah and so the the idea there is you know there are sort of things that we understand as far as what works and so that's why um we have these zoning ideas and if you played sim city you have basically these zoning things where you can you can basically say this area just block it off this area is commercial this is industrial this is residential and then you, you know, try and build your city where um, you put those blocks in the right areas to make people happy. How do we come up with the um, what works and what doesn't for zoning? Yeah. And, and so that's where um, so the with the game is very strict about it. Right. It's very basic. Whereas in real life, there's some squishiness to it, just like there is with anything that's sort of determined scientifically. But. Um, that's why it's easier to start with the sort of the description for the game, right? So when you say what works, it comes down to the idea of what people are okay with, right? 
So if you have, you know, um, I mentioned in the at the in the intro, if all of your housing is overlooking a beach, right? It's extremely desirable. And so because of that, people who are working high-end jobs and have, you know, a significant wage are going to pay whatever they need to to get those locations, right? Right. And that will push those people who can't pay that much out of those locations. And then those people, if that's the only housing you have, well, they have nowhere to live at all, right? Right. And so instead... You have to have some sort of housing that's more available, usually ending up in a low income housing type area. And the reality of the situation is to get homes in places where you can also make them extremely affordable, the way we tend to answer that is by putting them in an area that isn't desirable, right? As close to the airport as possible, you know, close to a Maybe not a refinery. That one doesn't always work. But, you know, something that for some reason is a lot of noise or is a lot of, you know, um, just a, a bad scenery or, you know, things like that. Something that makes the area less desirable. And then, you know, that's why people talk about beachfront property and, and stuff like that is because those are those desirable areas. And then, you know, the housing that you provide other places or that you zone for housing in other places can often be um, uh, associated with low income housing because it's the only ones that, you know, the, the people who have more money aren't desiring. And that's just the reality of that situation. Does supply and demand also impact like a beachfront property? Like if there is a zoning law that limits how high you can build a building so you can't have high rises on the beach therefore you have less housing presumably that would also increase the premiums versus a beach that wasn't zoned and where they could just kind of build quite frankly limitlessly right yep yeah i mean if you can build a high-rise apartment building on a beachfront you're gonna get real good prices for an apartment like it's real good i mean like you're going to be able to sell those for really high prices but Mm -hmm you're still not going to get the price you would have if it was just, you know, a one, you could only build a one story building on that um, same property. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. And, and a lot of those types of zoning laws exist, but then, you know, where things get a little squishier between SimCity and um, the reality of the situation is things where like, um, in SimCity, you can't put a commercial zone right in the middle of your residential zone. Or like you can't have one that's sort of zoned for both. Whereas in reality, right. we kind of do have that, right? So you might have an apartment complex that on the very bottom is shops of some sort. Or you might have um, a grocery store right in the middle of what's more residential. And the reason for that is that When we talk about city planning, one of the things that you want to do is make sure people don't have to get in their car and drive three miles just to go to the grocery store all the time or, Mm -hmm. you know, just to go do daily sort of activities other than going to work. That just isn't taken into consideration because how do you do that when people work all over the place and live, you know, all over the place? But if you have, you know, conveniences in every sort of area that people live in. It can limit how far people need to drive and things like that. 
Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. And I will tell you that that is significantly less common in Montana from what I've noticed. Residential areas are very residential and commercial areas are very commercial. And so there, there's not a lot of um, or like you, you do tend to have to get in your car and, and drive to go to the grocery store usually. I feel like that's a lot of how like a lot of very sprawled suburban areas and more rural areas are yep. is that you have things are pretty separated by like you might have in a suburb that there is like a corner convenience store and a few small corner shops. Yep. But you really don't have a big so- supermarket for maybe two or three miles or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of those um, sort of squishy zoning things are designed specifically for these um, urban environments where they're trying to stop the sort of sprawl of the area and, you know, try and condense things a little bit more. And so that's where they get these ideas of zoning in a way that allows for grocery stores to be close by or conveniences to be close by and, and not have to, you know, put people farther and farther away, essentially. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's the basic concepts behind zoning. That's like the sim- simple, but I feel like zoning also does have a lot more to it. Like zoning can impact areas. Like if you zone, if for instance, uh, I've heard a lot of political debates about zoning around the amount of housing that can be built in certain areas mm-hmm. as it relates to what would be either the battle between historical kind of architectural uh, property versus building more housing units to meet supply and demand and help with affordable housing, hypothetically, right? That's a overly simplified version of that argument because there's more nuance to it. But yeah. that's a that I, I feel like that's like when you get into other levels of zoning, that's where it can start to maybe get more complex. And I don't know if that's within the scope of today's conversation. Yeah. So. I mean, it's one of those situations where it's it's hard to um, it's hard to talk tangentially about it. You know, it's hard to um, every time you try to explain one thing, you're going to have a hundred other things that are caveats to that comment. Right. And so it's because it's such a complex um, problem that everybody seems, you know, feels like they have their own ideas of how to fix. Right. So um, you start talking about gentrification or, you know, um, things like that. I mean, it's it changes everything about um, how you how you talk about it. Right. So obviously the way that we've, you know, classical zoning and classical um, city design created very, very poor areas. And you had areas where we basically concentrated people who are less fortunate into one spot and surrounded them with other people who have the same, you know, um, issues, essentially. And so the idea of um, isolating groups of people became a problem and and is is still a problem, you know. And so um, that's the... I don't know, bright side behind the idea, I think, of gentrification is trying to increase property value in an area where people are already living and help them, you know, have now properties that are worth more than maybe what they were able to pay for them 
um, when it was a sort of downtrodden area and then help them from a real estate perspective, use the real estate that they've already, you know, got to, um, to improve and better themselves. But then at the same time, a lot of that real estate is owned by somebody else who's already wealthy and they're just not taking care of it because it's in a low income area, you know? And yeah, yeah, I was going to say that assumes that a lot of the natives of those neighborhoods are also homeowners. Right, right, exactly. And, and the, the reality is they aren't always, you know, and, and often maybe they're not. And, and so a lot of these, you know, one of the, one of the things I said is that, um, Sometimes you create these laws with an idea in mind that creates a problem you never considered, right? And housing is one of those ones that is very much in that um, in that area where uh, people just it's tough to imagine how people respond to different things, right? I mean, we obviously understood that um, back in the day, if you know you everybody was doing their own farming. The primus land were the place that you could plant the most crops or you could raise the most cattle, right? That was prime real estate. And then when uh, growing food became a thing we could outsource and we could get our food from somewhere else, prime real estate became what looks nice. What Where can I be that I go out my back door and, you know, have a nice yard and a pretty view? Or, you know, um, I don't have to deal with the noise of the city or, you know, things like that, that became prime real estate. And so, you know, we had a good understanding of what people desired in that case, but what, what we've never done a good job of is sort of taking the idea of, okay, so take out the idea of prime real estate of of that prime. What do people desire and say, how do we make areas that aren't like that uh, affordable and and without making them in the worst areas in the city and and this is where SimCity you know sort of um came up with that or that quote sort of came out why do I always have to put my low income housing in the worst part of town is because of that is because the only people they could get to move there are those who didn't have much other choice and so if you're trying to um gentrify an area if you're trying to make that area better um and that's your idea but at the same time that that place is also in a sort of part of town that isn't desirable you can do other things to try and make that desirable right you can put in apartment buildings that have these luxury apartments or whatever you know things like that that that, that you don't have to worry as much about the view you have these other things you can have you know, uh, commercialization that's more nearby. Um, you can have, uh, in Boston, a great one is you can have, um, a train station nearby, right? You put a train station near that area and that area becomes more desirable, right? So, I mean, there are so many things, you know, that, that go into the idea of how to make city planning work Mm -hmm. and, it is incredibly complex because it also has to consider human nature. And that is the one that we're, I think, failing at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about a lot of cities is a lot of modern day cities, it seems, were, were built around cars, right? Mm-hmm. Around the use of automobiles. And um, they were built in a different time when we didn't quite understand the 
impacts of everything there. So it's it's interesting now, right? Like you have a lot of sprawled out cities, for instance, that are building upwards now because there's high concentrated areas of economic activity where people want to go and, you know, people want to reduce things like traffic, right? So they, because people based on old models live in suburbs and commute in, but, you know, inflated costs of vehicles and traffic and things like that not great right Mm -hmm. um so it's really interesting kind of how how the landscape is evolving and and how things are changing and and i don't know i mean i guess it's kind of not really leading anywhere but that is one thing to to know like you know you don't really see too many cities that are built around predominantly people on foot first and people on in cars second right everything's built around roads yeah so it's it's interesting because you know i think a lot of our perspective in in this country is is looking at cities in this country right and um the idea that you're absolutely right um once automobiles were available and cities began being built after that you know we realized that we could zone in ways that a that people would have to drive a little bit and it was fine because they had a car available for the most part. And and it's interesting when you look at that and how some other countries have tackled this, um, the idea of commutes and the idea of having to go places regularly. When I was in Japan, Japan is extremely sprawling. Um, mm. The commutes, there will be people who might commute to cities really far away. Um, and I think you'd be surprised how far some of these people go, but they'll commute on the bullet train and, yes. you know, they're, they're essentially get on the train and go an hour, but they've gone, you know, 50 miles in that hour. Right. Damn. And so it's, you know, these people might commute pretty far, but it doesn't really seem like it because the train is always on time. It's the craziest thing in the world. They, they arrive at the time they're supposed to, and the doors close at the time it's supposed to leave. Whether the people are on the train, doesn't matter. The The door is closed and it's already moving. It's crazy. But it's interesting because their system is, for one, exceptionally efficient. You know, their engineers obviously did very, very well. But for the entire country, um, one of the things that somebody tested at one point was to take a slime mold and they put the shape uh, basically like a growth medium for the slime mold in the shape of Japan. And then they put dots of that slime mold at all of the major cities in Japan. And then that slime mold would reach out and grow out in a way that connected all of them together. And when they looked at a pat, the pattern with which those um, that slime mold chose to do those connections it matched the Japanese train system almost to a T. It was almost perfect. That's pretty that's pretty wild, man. Yeah. So it was pretty much determined that that their train system is obviously quite efficient. Yeah. One thing I always think about with city planning, there's obviously the zoning, and that's kind of like a big portion of it, but it's also just like how does the design of a city impact one's mood, one's well-being, and not even just from like being rich 
or being poor or the economic status, but how does it impact behavior? And like, that's always one thing I'm very fascinated with, you know, yeah. like it's, it's kind of like that thing where I guess like tight, technically speaking, if you zone things, so you have an industrial versus a residential zone, you would expect that behaviorally more people would drive cars. Um, maybe that, you know, there's going to be determined hours of activity. Whereas if you had sort of mixed zones where it's shops, restaurants, housing, that maybe because of the convenience, you have more people out at all times of the night, less driving, less cars. So it's like, it's just stuff like that. that I'm always curious about like how the heck does city design impact that? Yeah. So um, this is where, you know, that one of the articles that I read is on, um, like they're really talking about flexible land use planning. And that's the idea is having things that are more available in a local area, you know, in a walkable distance, because you will get people out and you will. And, you know, people being out on the street also decreases crime in the area, you know, because yeah, I've actually heard in Detroit, one of the big downfalls of, of what happened is that they zoned industrial zones separate from residential zones. And it made easier for crime to be conducted because in these zones where there was no eyes after a certain hour, that was like criminals yeah. safe haven. Yeah. It's a great place to go because, you know, nobody's policing that area as much because people aren't in danger there because there's no people right. and nobody's going out there to see what's happening because there's nothing for them to go see out there. Right. So, um, you know, that is another, you know, sort of idea of this flexible land use planning is the idea of basically having um, having things more available so that there are people just in all of the areas more often. And it's it just is a more positive response. But the other problem is that you also have to have agreeable city um, officials. And when's the last time you heard the name of somebody who was a city official and you recognized that name? I never do. Yeah. I mean, local um, local officials or even um, city officials are responsible for a lot of this stuff. And, you know. You might know the mayor of a bigger city. You know, I think Boston's mayor might be known. New York's mayor often is known. Um, but the reality is people have no idea what their local government or who their lo local government officials are. And, you know, if they did, if they knew what these people were doing, a lot of this stuff would go a lot better. But nobody's really paying attention to those people and all they pay attention to is the the federal government and who has almost no influence directly on your community yeah on on any of of this type of thing you know for for sure they have no influence whatsoever and you know if if your commute is horrible if your you know the area of your city is horrible it sounds you know almost ridiculous but getting involved in the local government is the first step the the first way to start to make a difference um and as simple as it sounds it can make it, it may have a bigger impact on your local area than if you were to become the president the next day well yeah i mean you know it's it's so interesting because i think people tend to 
for simple for a simplified purpose view the country from a top-down approach uh, you got two political parties which one do you align with more which one don't you what decisions do these does this party align with which ones don't and then do i does that align with my views of the world or not and then the problem is that like there's a lot of abstract ideas at the highest level of those political parties and the you know when it pushed when you start to trickle down these policies yeah some of them do affect us on the day-to-day but the majority of them pale in comparison to the decisions that get made at the local level local zoning laws are going to impact rent prices based on supply and demand uh local local laws of how you zone uh, i mean it's huge it's going to impact the type of neighborhoods you walk around in um yeah there's, there's just so much right uh, how much properties get taxed on is going to determine landlord rent rates. And there's just like, there's a ton, like the way that a city decides to tax and drive revenue is going to impact the behavior of the citizens. It's going to impact your life. It's going to depend, determine, do you want to own property in one place versus another? Yep. Right. Do you want to raise your kids here or not? Right. Like there's just so much there. Um, but it get it, it pales in comparison because you got Goliath giant, news media outlets that make money off of sensationalism and you know drive everyone to look at things from a top-down approach it's kind of anyways not to get political or anything but i think to to kind of come back to it yeah look really things should be looked at from a bottom-up approach yeah and you know when you talk about local government the idea of this sort of infighting between the quote-unquote two political parties you know, is virtually non-existent at that level, you know, because there isn't enough influence from one side or the other to really sort of take over. You just have a few officials overall being the people who are deciding these things. And so it stops mattering whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're, you know, some intermediate or um, independent party, because at that point, the reality is you have to actually do your job. You know, because it's it's almost at this point your job to not get noticed, because if you're so bad that the the people in your area know who you are, it's probably just because you messed something up, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or I I just think a, a funny example is like somebody who after an election, whether, you know, is one political party or another is either. Is 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 so downtrodden because their their uh, president elect didn't get it, and they're so mad and so pissed off, and they're on Facebook and they're tweet or, or tweeting about stuff, and right. then you know they pay no no attention to the local level and don't realize that their their local mayor is uh, going to use eminent domain to force them to sell their property right. and build a shopping mall there. Yeah, right? exactly. They, they probably could have voted against that while they were busy tweeting about national news stuff and yeah. stuff that doesn't really impact them directly but it happens i mean in in, uh, in somerville where i was living before moving i mean they use eminent domain like no one's business man really and it, oh they do it's huge out there they, yeah the the mayor of somerville uses eminent domain a lot and i mean um, it's because for the most part if you build large apartment complexes in place of two-family homes or you build commercial centers in place of two-family homes you're going to get more tax revenue from those those establishments so they're used it's it's used 
not sparingly at all in Somerville. So I've met some homeowners who have basically had to deal with in court those battles or they've been forced to sell. And it, it's, it's one of those examples of pay attention to local. Yeah. (laughs) Don't get to, don't get too caught up in sensationalism because you, you know, yeah, things, things happen that can affect you locally. Yep. And, you know, honestly, the people who are paying the most attention to the local um, government are often those who are already doing very well. And they're they tend to be the ones who are trying to make it even better for themselves, you know, so it's like having a tax accountant or something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but yeah, I mean, obviously not to turn this whole thing into like a a kind of political thought tank or political rant on how to view your local politics versus national ones. But I mean, it is, it is interesting because city planning does happen at that level, you know, Uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump aren't going to decide, you know, if a highway uh, gets built next to your house. They don't care. No, no. Um, So it's it's just interesting. I, I, I I would love to explore at some point, like, the psychological impacts of if there is any way. Yeah. I mean, um, there's, you know, when of city planning, so, I mean, some of the simple concepts there are, that's why there's a park, you know, in, in a city is, is because they can't completely get rid of the outside world or we fall apart psychologically, you know? Um, right. And, and so there's definitely more to it, you know, on, in that case, um, and there's so much more to this, these concepts that we just, we just don't have the time to go into here, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess behaviorally, it, it kind of like w- what we've talked about makes sense. Like you get let crime rates go down when there's more eyes on a city. It makes sense, yeah. right? Like just certain, certain behavioral impacts that, that it does have that, that is interesting, um, yeah. for sure. But I, Hey man, you know, there's always, there's always more time to dig deeper into that stuff. Yeah. We may have to do another episode of this or something if, if people are interested and, you know, um, I guess with that, let us know, you know, if you, uh, if you are interested in this, reach out to us at feedback at breaking bad science.com. Um, if you have questions or, you know, want to talk more about this or want to learn, you know, want another episode of this, we've done a few episodes lately of sort of user or listener um requested episodes so um yeah reach out to us um send us a message on instagram or facebook and uh, breaking bad science podcast uh was there anything else you wanted to talk about shanti that's it man we covered it we covered the gamut all right all right thanks guys this has been breaking bad science (laughs) Accept the squishy.